you guys. Hi, I'm here with Alfonso Colasuono, uh, and he is a writer, and he wrote this amazing book called, um, what, what was it, the, the Mystical Unicorn, or what is it called? The uh, Book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn. The Book of the Magical Mystical Unicorn. Okay, so I happened upon you because one of my, one of my best friends, like Danielle, she sent me uh, she sent me that link to the leak project thing. And she's like, oh my God, you should ask him about your unicorn experience. So I had a unicorn experience in, in March of 2020. And so I, I watched that interview that you did on the leak project. And then I watched a bunch of your other interviews. And um, so apparently it's not very common to see a unicorn or like they haven't been seen really in 200 years. Is that a thing? Um, you know, that's a great question. Um... You know, it's not very common to have a unicorn experience and to see the unicorn outright like you did. Um, yeah, over the last 200 years, it hasn't really been so popular. And I'm not quite sure, just honestly, if it's mostly just because we live in a more skeptical um, age where scientific materialism has kind of taken over. And so a lot of people who may have seen the unicorn in some ways just may not really be comfortable sharing it because of ostracism or anything like that. But um, it also could very well be tied to a prophecy about the unicorn returning at the end of the age. And if we're not there yet, you know, this is why we start seeing a little bit more about the unicorn pop up in pop culture and stuff. But, you know, experiences like yours are, as far as I know, few and far between, um, definitely. Okay. so. Walk, walk us through how you got into this book and how I how how this how this came about. I like the I like I like the idea of this whole thing. Sure. Uh, so I was um, coming off of probably one of the worst professional times of my life in 2015. Um, I was working on a project called Old Forgotten Art Found, which basically the principal on that project has art that was stolen by the Nazis during World War II. She has photographic proof of artists like Monet and Picasso and others. Um, who had their art stolen um, you know, from these families. And we were going to do a televised hunt to return it to the rightful owners. But the principal on that project had to go to Germany, uh, had some visa issues, so she hasn't been able to come back just yet. So that project was put on a, a long hiatus. And I was also working with this entrepreneur, Jeff Stakalnik, who was a principal of the hedge fund. And uh, we were, we were kind of working on this iOS app, and then he passed away from cancer. So I'm working on these big projects and they both dissolve um, just in a, in a span of two months. So here I am, like, I thought, well, I'm gonna be working on Speedboard with Jeff and Old Forgotten Art Found with Bev and the rest of that crew. And they're all gone. So I'm just a writer now with that project. And I start scrambling and I went to my energy healer, this woman named Stephanie Erdang in New York City, who an ex-girlfriend of mine recommended me to go to. And um, I went to Stephanie and I told her like, hey, I'm, you know, this is a tough time right now. I don't have any projects going on. I'm kind of struggling for money. I, I don't really know what to do. And she said, basically, she, my uh, energy healer, Stephanie, played matchmaker with me and my co-author, Bakasha Brenman, who this was her idea. She had spent um, decades as the president of the Unicorn Archive and just devoted her whole life to it. But she never found the right. Wait, real like, quick. I read that. Yeah. What is the Unicorn Archive? So the Unicorn Archive was something that Bakasha Brendan, my co-author, ran. It was basically 
her apartment doubled as an archive of all sorts of materials related to the unicorn. Stacks of research from um, every, every book and article written about the unicorn that we could find in English. Um, every book written about the unicorn, um, you know, like children's books and things like that. Just every verified source of information about the unicorn specifically and esoteric topics just generally were in her archive. And it was a 501c and she ran it you know, for years until her death in 2020. Okay, all right. So, okay, go, go back on. So you got introduced to her and then. Yep. Yeah, so um, I was looking for a project and truthfully, like when I first met Bakasha, I, I was just really impressed. I'm a former cigarette smoker. So I never saw anyone like just chain smoke like Bakasha when I first met her in late 2015. And I mean, the, the lady offered me some wine and she just chain smoked nonstop. And so like, I knew she was kind of a character and uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be fun working with her. But I also saw her driven commitment. This has been something she'd been working on for decades. And that kind of determination really resonates with me. Um, you know, when I'm working with someone, I want to make sure that they're going to give their all. And I knew Vakasha would, you know, do that even much more than I would. And, uh, and yeah, and so, you know, we agreed to work together. I had a few other uh, writing commitments. We started about a year later at the end of 2016. And, uh, you know, we started writing the book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn from there. Very cool. Okay, so, um, and you actually saw a unicorn horn yourself. Okay, but how do you know it was a unicorn horn? How do you know it wasn't just a horn of something, a narwhal horn or like some other kind of horn? You know, that's a great question. Um, I don't think, I think one thing about experiences with the unicorn or just any sort of mystical experience generally, um, I, I think like if you're gonna try to prove things, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but if you're trying to prove things, through like a logical, like five senses, scientific method, it may be difficult to prove. I think that's, if, if someone's trying to do that, it's a little bit misguided. Um, but about 10 days in to working with Vakasha on the Book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn, because basically Vakasha was an older woman and she had a lot of health issues. And she also really favored collaborative approaches to writing, which was new for me. So I basically spent about half my time in New York, coming up from where I live here in Baltimore, to, to work with Vakasha closely on this. And, um, you know, from that, she kind of told me, you know, people, which I thought she was just joking or being sarcastic. She told me people come here are known to see the unicorn. So I had just started working with her. I didn't want to get snarky and tell her like, yeah, I'm, you know, sure. I'm like in her house, her. People, people see unicorn related stuff like in her house. That's what she said. And so I, I went in there and I was kind of like skeptical. Um, I'd never seen a unicorn. I hadn't had too many experiences, supernatural, you know, or anything like that. But the first 10 days were normal. We were just getting to know each other, just getting started on the book, you know, researching and all that stuff. And the night, 10th, about the 10th night or so that I was there, I go to bed around 10 p.m., wake up at 1 a.m., haven't been drinking, haven't been on any psychedelics, nothing. And I would just wake up, Fear's Day, and I start seeing the unicorn form materialize before my very eyes. Like next and to your bed or what? So um, so I used to sleep on an air mattress upstairs for, in Bakasha's apartment. So I was lying down on the air mattress just right over the floor. And I could see it. You know, the, the air mattress must have been about, you know, seven 
maybe eight feet lengthwise. And about towards the end of the bed, away from uh, you know, my face, I started seeing the, the horn materialize. It must have been about five feet over the bed. And it just kind of started materializing out of thin air. And uh, the unicorn itself didn't appear, but the horn did. It was mostly white. There was a slight spiral to it and a slight greenish, light greenish tint to some of the color of it. And it didn't say any message to me. It didn't uh, materialize its full form. But when I went downstairs the next morning to, you know, drink Akasha and drink some coffee and all that stuff, get started on the day, I told her about it and she just laughed and she's like, I knew you didn't believe me, but now you saw it. So. Now, what about yeah. her? Had she had unicorn experiences herself? Oh yeah, since she was a little girl, I met her when uh, I think she must have been about six, nine, seven years old or so when I met her. And um, she told me that she had experiences from when she was a little girl growing up in North Carolina on her, on her parents' farm. Um, you know, she was always kind of the more spirited. Her family are great people, but she was always kind of the, uh, the rebel of the, of the family. And, uh, you know, she would go off into the woods there near, near her house and the unicorn would appear to her since an early age. And, um, you know, she had always feel, felt a really close affinity with the unicorn. So like as, as surprising experience as it was for me, you know, her experiences had been happening since a very early age. In fact, even with her poor health, the reason that like led her to get up every day and, and work with me on the Wicked Magical Mythical Unicorn was because she felt strongly that the unicorn appeared to her five years, actually in 2015 or, or 16 when she was really sick, to say, tell my true story. You know, no distortions. Just tell the, the true nature of my story. And I think that was kind of the last mission she had here on this planet before her passing. Hmm. Okay, that's pretty. That's that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So my unicorn did not have a spiral to its horn. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like how a. It was just or that I could see. Um it was a straight horn kind of like on a on a bull how it would be you know it was and it wasn't that long it was only maybe like a foot long yeah. or something it wasn't you know it, it wasn't the traditional narwhal spiral that yeah you see so i wonder uh, are there different breeds of unicorns or what's going on with that and mine was a it was a white horse with a horn it was and it was a beautiful white horse like it had a a, a nice healthy thick mane and tail um, but I don't know, like my breeds of horses or anything either. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not surprising to hear that because from the research that Akash and I did when we were writing the book of the magical mythical unicorn, um, we found that there were different colors of the unicorn and the horn. Particularly, what we found is most experiences are similar to yours uh, in the color that they look like a horse. They're white. They have a white horn. Um, you know, some say it's spiraled, some say it's not, but there are different, uh, I don't know if breed's the word for it, but different breeds, let's say, of unicorns. In the Middle East, uh, where the unicorns generally known as the Carcadan, there's a lot of instances where the unicorns are actually brown or even black in color. Um, so, you know, there, there's a variety. When you look at in China, uh, where they call the unicorn the Qilin, it looks very different from, um, you know, more European and Western kinds of notions of the unicorn. Well, so I've, I've, I've also seen them where they almost look like goats with 
with like a chin hair and stuff you know like they're more and like when I was in Korea I was in the Korean like uh their main their old palace and they have um I remember they have they have a big mural or tapestry I'm not I don't think it's a tapestry it's like it's like a screen thing it's like one of their big ancient things and they have a unic they have some unicorn Kore Koreans are really big on unicorns apparently yeah. uh and when I was there it was like uh they're but they're like kind of warped looking horses they don't look like beautiful horses they're kind of kind of funky but they still have the horn yeah i mean that's been my experience too and it's a shame actually just with the whole north korea political situation because there's one place i'd love to visit the unicorn cave uh over there you know it's a little bit of a tumultuous situation i don't exactly feel comfortable being a tourist in north korea but um, but yeah, there's a unicorn cave where supposedly a unicorn is buried with a ancient Korean king. I think dating back to about 1800 years, uh, you know, before uh, today, if I remember correctly. So yeah, there's a huge tradition of the unicorn in East Asia, uh, honestly more than Europe. And that was one of the things that really surprised me about writing this book is just how global it is, especially in Asia, Europe, and Africa. Maybe less so in the Americas. Huh. Well, I saw my, my unicorn was in Colombia, like the Colombia, yeah. the country. Um, yeah. So I was, I was, um, I, I don't even know where I was. I was in the mid, I was like towards the Amazon in the South, like four or five hours of a place called Manoa. And it was, um, I mean, it's supposed to be an Atlantis portal. So that's why I went and yep. then I didn't see Atlantis, but I saw my unicorn. So that's, uh, and it's interesting because when I was looking up like art for my, my video to when I was posting it, I was just putting like, oh, you know, like I was just looking up unicorn art. And one of the first things that popped up was uh, unicorns are from Colombia. And I was like, all right, oh. that I'm using that as my <laughs> art for this particular video because they were there. So yeah, are there any other accounts of Colombian unicorns that you know of? You know, I mean, that was one of the coolest things when I first saw your uh, video about your experience in Colombia because Vakash and I were just hitting a wall, specifically when it came to South America. I mean, uh, my dad came to the U.S. from Venezuela, and, you know, there was never any sort of unicorn tradition that I heard, you know, from him growing up in Caracas and, um, or anything of the sort. And then when we were doing the research uh, on this uh, about 25 years ago, Vakash uh, had worked with a woman named Artist Boyd who went to the U.S. Public Library, um, the Manly, Manly P. Hall, the, uh, you know, his library out there for the Philosophical Research Society in California, uh, corresponding with the Rosicrucians and lots of different places to get access to unicorn information from all these different obscure sources that we used for the, for the book. And, um, you know, there, there was just nothing in that research from back then or the, the more modern research we did at universities and on Google and elsewhere about almost anything in South America. We saw three depictions in caves in Argentina uh, that we included in the book. Aside from that, there was a, we hit a wall. And so when I saw that, that you had this experience in, in Colombia, you know, of course, you know, in South America, all of these countries have an indigenous people and then, you know, mostly the Spaniards come and kind of, um, you know, almost put their ways on, on the people. So I wonder just about like indigenous languages, indigenous traditions, how much the unicorn's presence might be in places like Colombia or elsewhere in Latin America. 
and it's just either you know repressed like or me, washed out no and and you know if if, if people uh, you know indigenous people who are guarding this tradition because of its sanctity and say and you know trying to keep it safe some of the stuff just might not get out to people like me who you know, I mean, you don't know who I am. If you're, if you're, uh, you know, an indigenous person, you don't know what my motives might be, uh, or anyone else, you know, outside. So I can understand how things might be, be kept close. But that was just so cool to hear about such an extensive tradition in Colombia. We had heard nothing about that when we were writing the book. It's really interesting because it's like. Um you know, people talk about those elongated Paracas skulls in um, Peru and, you know, how they're found everywhere. But when I was at, I was at the Musca tribe in, I can't remember the name, it was, it's where the legend of the golden fountain for like a John, or was, was it called? Um, City of Gold, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's in the middle of this old town where apparently there was like, apparently like molten gold flowed out of this this fountain. So like, I went to that fountain. It's just a stone fountain. doesn't look like anything today. But um, the tribe that's buried next to that uh, has like like a thousand skulls of, um, they're, they're like bulbous. They're, I've never seen anything like it. And uh -huh. the suture is, it comes together in threes. It's almost as if they would have had, um, you know, like, like boob head or, or I don't know how to explain it. Like their head was like nodule-y. And um, uh, so you always hear about the, you know, the elongated skulls, but I've never heard of this particular kind of uh, thing. And they wouldn't let you, they didn't want you to take pictures of it. And they had, they had, they have like, um, I think they had about, six or seven on display in the little museum that you go there but I feel like a lot of stuff there and for good reason probably uh they keep like tight to the chest I think you have to you kind of have to go in person to see stuff like you're not going to just find out find it um in a book because it isn't cataloged there yeah and you're right the Spanish did I mean like they, they did come in and just completely yeah. kill anything they could you know whatever you believe is dumb believe what i be we believe what we believe so yeah that's so that's interesting um but okay let me go over the unicorn thing real quick and then because because if people haven't heard what my unicorn story was so i was at this place called manoa in colombia and i okay the reason i went was my friend brian is colombian or his parents are he's colombian american and he um, was really into becoming like a shaman and studying like plant medicine with this uh, this group of, of shamans from down in Columbia. Anyway, he calls me up and he's like, hey, do you want to go to this like Native American elder festival in Taos, New Mexico? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. So we went to that and I met this guy, Serata, and he was uh, this shaman guy from the Musca tribe in Columbia. And he's in his seventies. He's just like one of the most pure humans you'll ever meet. He was just like the sweetest, nicest human being ever, but he doesn't speak English at all. So I don't even like, and I don't speak Spanish at all. So there was that, but you know, Brian was the little go between. Anyway, uh, we like the three of us one night during this festival went and did a CE5. And like, I was using my, I was like, well, hey, let's play my little crop circle sounds and whatever. And, uh, me and Brian didn't see anything, but uh, Serata said he saw a little whatever. And then anyway, he's like, oh, the White Brotherhood gave me a 
And I was like, the White Brotherhood. And now I've heard about that all, all the time. But he was like, yeah, the White Brotherhood gave me a, a spell to create a portal. And I was like, okay. So he tells us the spell. And we all, like three, were saying it. And nothing happened. Okay, whatever. Okay. So that's that's that story. But he, he also, I went to his lectures when I was at this festival. And he talks about the portal to Atlantis. Which that in itself is a, an amazing, amazing, amazing story. And he wrote a book about it. But it's only in Spanish. Anyway, so, um, like, a month later, I go to Egypt. I find myself alone in the king's chamber, and I'm in there for, like, 10 minutes, and I get inside of the box, the sarcophagus, because, like, no one's around to monitor me not to, and um, I'm, I'm sitting in there, and I'm thinking, like, what should I do, like, in the king's chamber alone? Like, I don't know. I never knew I was going to ever get that opportunity, and I hadn't done any research on that either. And uh, I was like, oh, I'll say the spell that that Sarata guy gave me because he'd only given me that like a month before. Looking back on it, that's probably stupid to try to open a portal in the king's chamber. But I did it uh, honestly and, and innocently, right? So I start saying it and this like almost like Egyptian figure starts popping out of the ceiling, like uh, out of the granite. And I, it scares me. And then someone starts walking in and then I, I stopped saying it and then all of a sudden it kind of turns to smoke and goes poof. So for me, I was going like, okay, this Sarata guy's not completely full of shit then. Like something like this guy's kind of maybe like legit. And so his story was that he he took this group into this, the, this guy was invited to go to Atlantis basically. And um, Sarata was supposed to be his guide. And then he didn't want to take him there because it's a very dangerous place and it is actually a very dangerous place where you go like there's no infrastructure it's not near anything like I was sleeping on the floor pooping in a hole like for five days it was like in the middle of there was like nothing there was no infrastructure okay so there's that anyway that's a little TMI but that's how it was okay anyway um and so he takes this 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 group in his 30s there and the guy who was I think he was some kind of monk. I don't know if he was a Tibetan monk. I kind of think he was a Tibetan monk, but he may have been some other kind of, he was, a, anyway, he was a spiritual monk type person, right? Who was called to go and had Surat to take him. Anyway, they're, they're walking around the area where the portal is and the, the monk goes missing. They don't like, they, they hear some flutes, they hear some stuff. They can't find the guy. So they finally go back down to their camp, but Sarata does not feel okay with leaving one of his guys behind. So he ends up in the next morning, he's like, okay, I'm gonna go look for him again. You guys just stay here. So he goes up there and he follows the footsteps of the monk guy, goes behind, sees his door, animatronic thing, goes inside or well, anyway, this big woman comes out and she's like 10 foot tall and she's a blue giant and she's got blue skin and her name's Consuela. And she's, you know, she's like, this is the city of Manoa. And it's like, uh, basically you hear friends with us and he's been invited and he's gonna stay with us. Like, he's like, you don't need to worry about him. He's fine. And Sarata's kind of like, okay, but like, I wanna, you know, make sure he's fine and stuff. So she lets him come in for four hours and she gives him a tour of Atlantis. And then she, she takes him back out and, um, then he's been gone for 21 days he thought it was four hours but it was really like 21 days so it was like this whole thing so he's very cautious about anyway he's had some contact with this portal since then and you can only go if you're invited 
And so like, he invited me, he, like even at the festival, he's like, you are, I think you can come. You, you were invited to go to Atlantis. So I was like, I'm not going to Atlantis. I don't believe that that's, that's real. Like that's whatever. But after that happened in Egypt, I thought like, okay, why not? So when we got there to the, the portal area, there was one particular character who I don't know that I can say, it's not very nice to say, but like, I, the, I've never felt that like, like a magnetic repulsion. I've never felt that mm, quite negative of a force before. So I already knew like, if these people are about like energetics, then none of us were getting in. And uh, so we didn't even make it up to where the portal was. And it, 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 it was a whole, it was a whole funny thing anyway. But that like one of the nights before I left is when the unicorn, like we were all walking down to our camp. There's no psychedelics involved, no alcohol involved, just quinoa and water, no other substances. And uh, it was like getting dark, like maybe the sun's gone down, but it's not like completely dark. You can still see a little bit, but I also had my headlamp do know that walking I'm in the I'm I'm leading I'm in the rear they're with four other guys the first two like my friend Brian they just like are kind of like walking to they like go way way far about and late leave us behind and later Brian tells me like oh I thought I saw a phantom like I thought I saw like a white ghost or whatever so I like you know got the hell out of there and I'm like oh great and so you just leave me behind <laughs> with a ghost but uh anyway so me and Ian um uh, Demetrius, who I've actually had both of them on my podcast before. And uh, oh, yeah, like the, I, I feel a tap on my shoulder and it's like, and I look over and there's a white horse with the horn and the three of it, like we all sat there and like watched to eat grass for like 10 minutes and till it kind of walked away eating grass. And that's, I mean, that's it, but it, it appeared to be a unicorn. I mean, you know, what I wonder about since the unicorn's appearances are so infrequent and it's tied to so many investigations of mysteries for you. I mean, what I see as, as a current kind of consistent pattern is the unicorn usually appears to people if there's a certain message uh, or certain reason. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't just kind of come for, you know, kind of shits and giggles or something like that. So I wonder with like your investigation of like portals into Atlantis and, and going to, to kind of, you know, just, just do the field work too to, and, and keep an open mind to explore these things, you know, like, like using the spell in, in the King's tomb in Egypt or, or, or just being out there in Colombia. I wonder if it's, and I, you know, I can't say this for certain, but I wonder if it's like a sign, if the unicorn appears to you as a sign to keep going and keep doing what you're doing and like, you know, to disseminate and, and try to understand, you know, some of these things that are hidden from the vast majority of people and, you know, maybe get this out to, to larger amounts of people. I mean, we live in such a skeptical society uh, where people basically think that everything already discovered, you know, in traditional scientific methods is all we know. And I always kind of like go by the, the quote of today's science or today's magic is tomorrow's science. So, you know, they just haven't caught up just yet for some of these things and that's fine but you know i think if people are doing the kind of investigative work which is also not just work it's also a lot of fun too uh, you know that that might be some of the message of, of the why this happened to you in terms of specifically the unicorn appearing um yeah i mean that's my first thought 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, I mean, it wanted my attention, like it touched me physically. And I didn't touch it back because like, I do remember, I don't know if it was from Harry Potter or something, or it's like, you're not supposed to touch a unicorn. Like there's something about like, you know, just like, and I, and I just wanted to enjoy its presence while it was there. Um, and, and like you asked me if I was obsessed with re unicorns or if I had ever researched into them or whatever. And the answer is like, not particularly like I, I mean, I've seen legend when I was a kid. I've, my nieces are obsessed with my little pony. There's all kinds of alicorns and pegasuses and unicorns and that, but I mean, I, I mean, not really, I've never done any actual, but at the same time, I, I do, I am a person who has had a lot of paranormal experiences and I have seen a lot of, um, I've had ET experiences. I've had fairy experiences. I've had, I've had like that kind of stuff. I've seen, I guess you could say a Gryffindor, you know, I mean, so there's, there's some things where I'm, I guess like, it didn't, it didn't surprise me that much that I saw one, but that, but that one was cool because it wasn't just me seeing it. There was two other people who saw it with me. So that was cool. But again, we didn't have our cameras on us. Like, or you don't have any cell phone service out there anyway. And it was like basically dark and we were just getting done eating. There wasn't that there wasn't going to be a reason to have your phone on you. Cause you know, and so we didn't. Yeah um yeah okay so that's but so okay for me i uh i i'm wondering okay so and i've heard people ask you this question and but like do you think that unicorns are inner okay i actually had a friend sorry i'm all over the place okay i had a friend who was like hun hun i believe your story but you know there's like there's like mutations within animals so it was probably like a horse out there that was like malnourished who had like a horn mutation. So that's something to consider. And I'm like, really? Like, really? That's okay. Um, but um, anyway, do you think they are interdimensional or do you think that they will at some point physically come back into our dimension like I physically saw one? Well, I mean, I do think that they're interdimensional creatures and uh but I do think that when they come into our dimension, like that unicorn that appeared before you, uh, or, or like the unicorn horn that appeared before me, or like the countless times unicorns appeared to historical figures like Confucius, um, Genghis Khan, many Chinese emperors, um, Alexander the Great, you know, all these kinds of figures who've seen a unicorn. I mean, Julius Caesar saw a unicorn on a military expedition. That's not a you know, spiritual you know, kind of endeavor at all. But... Um, when the unicorn does appear, it, it, you know, by virtue of being in its dimension, it is physical. You can, you can touch it. You can feel it. Like when a unicorn kind of butted up against your arm, you can feel that physically. But it's not, you know, right here on our kind of vibration, um, you know, this is not its natural home. What I believe, the, the reason why the unicorn comes in and pops in as needed, yeah, so we, we heard about this Gnostic myth in the Codex Unicornis, which is a uh, document from about 14th century in Italy. And uh, according to this Gnostic myth in the Codex Unicornis, the unicorn will come back at the end of the age. And so because of that, you know, if you go back to the backstory of how the unicorn came to understand humanity, when we were in Eden in the paradise, the first man, the first woman, um, 
and, and then, you know, the creator kind of put us back here in this dimension so we can learn and, and grow through some of the challenges. And there's a lot of joyous things going on here in life too, don't get me wrong, but there are a lot of challenges. And these are all opportunities for growth for each and every person here. But the unicorn was given a choice. It could either stay purely in that higher dimension and just, you know, a, a much better experience or come into our dimension, into third dimension as needed. When, when there's a real need for it here um, and, and appeared before people, people like you, people like me, people like Confucius. Um, so, it, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of truth in that myth that we found. Huh, that is interesting. So, so the, the, the prophecy is that it's supposed to come back, um, you know, uh, one of Sarata's, like when we were in Atlantis, like one of the, apparently what Consuela told him was that we're the fifth age of man like and i guess there's other 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 like mayan codes a lot of people say that and that there will be two more um after us and that they the sixth one is ready and so it was interesting because like the way consuela talked about it was like she said that the first two ages of men were etheric they were like um uh uh more like ghosts or like they like they could i don't know more spiritual beings and i wonder if that's where the fairy realm and the unicorns and all that maybe came from or like the dragons or whatever i don't know and uh she said that they they kind of created landforms and whatever and then the third race of man was basically the lumerians like and then the third the fourth race was the atlanteans and they were both physical and they had a war and the world was destroyed that's what she says and there were still pockets of Lumerians that exist and Atlanteans that exist. And that um, uh, the fifth race of man was brought in and that was us. But I'm kind of like, by who? Brought in by who? Like, what are we talking about here? And then it's, and it's interesting because um, I think the unicorn is, uh, it was definitely a, very much a peaceful experience in my thing and I only ever hear good things about unicorns I don't hear any like bad stuff about unicorns so um also the Alexander Great thing I think that's really interesting because didn't he wasn't his horse a unicorn yeah exactly and he rode forever yeah yeah his horse was a unicorn and it's kind of when you were saying a little bit about um you know that, that kind of negative repulsion of the energy it kind of reminded me of, of the story that's in the book of the Magical Mythical Unicorn about Alexander the Great. Now, this comes from the Persian sources, and there were a lot of wars between the Macedonian Greeks, the Kingsiad, and the Persians. But in the Persian tradition, where he's known as Ishkandar, his unicorn, Bucephalus, supposedly, you know, Alexander kind of rode this unicorn trying to go towards the skies, and eventually the creator, it was never defined who exactly told us, but there reached a point where he could not travel anymore. The unicorn couldn't even travel anymore, at least while, you know, a mortal like Alexander was on the unicorn and just kind of, kind of had to go back to earth. So there are certain barriers that I guess we can't cross even, even with a little bit of help from the unicorn. I mean, we are in our human experiences here in this age for a reason. And, you know, we can't, I guess, at least in my opinion, we can't know everything just yet. Uh, you know, there's some things that we have to remain in ignorance about just, just so we can enjoy this experience and, and learn from this experience. Well, 
that's that that's a nice way to to, to look at it i guess because i'm always just like now i want to know more like i want to know who's behind the matrix or like who's like i want to know like you know the wizard behind the curtain kind of thing um you know very very interested in that but um yeah i found i was i was on i was on a walk not, not too long ago maybe like a like sometime within the 2020 crap and mm -hmm. um there was you, you know, i don't know if you guys have these in baltimore but we have these like little certain neighborhoods have these little libraries where somebody will just basically put in a a, a fence post or or like a some pole with like a little bird box that has like 30 or 40 books inside like you open a little chest and you, yeah so there we go. i don't know i was walking and i was like oh it's one of those like little library things and i open it up and there was this book it's just like on dragons and i was like okay well that's that's for me so i take the dragon book and Ale the the store the, the most compelling story in there is alexander the great on his unicorn um and he goes to like how he defeats this dragon is basically puts firecrackers in in its belly are are like big fire cannonballs and and firecrackers in its belly like while it's sleeping so mm -hmm. i thought that was it was a very bizarrely detailed description of how he killed a dragon versus you know people are always saying that alexander the great stuff is just you know myth or it's just you know that's like a hyperbole of stuff and i'm like okay maybe but he goes into quite details about it's a letter that he wrote back to his mom or something is where this this reference came from and it's and it's you know it's yeah anyway my thing is i think that we i i, I think magic is coming back yes. I do. and and just to the skeptics I, i'd say this just from the, the research that we did for this book, it, it's amazing. I mean, if someone just told me, if I just heard your unicorn experiences out of the blue, or I just saw one instance, like let's say Confucius's experiences with the unicorn, it might be easy for me to be like, okay, well, this is one person or one story from back in the day. You know, eh, not so sure about this. But just in, in the course of seeing things from all different spiritual traditions, all different cultures, all different time periods, and always coming back to the same essential properties, generally the same appearance, the same kind of, um, you know, interactions with the unicorn over 6,000 years. That's just a recorded history. I mean, who knows if you're talking about Atlantis or Lemuria or, you know, earlier iterations of humanity or other creatures. Um, you know, I mean, just the, the wealth of information that's out there. You know, I always believe where there's smoke, there's fire. And so, you know, I was a skeptic coming into working with Takasha on this book, seeing the unicorn, and then, you know, further immersing myself in the research. You know, I realized, like, no, I'm not crazy. I know these people aren't crazy. There's something here. Do I think that maybe, like, some of the things in the book might be fabricated for whatever reason? Um, not intentionally on our part or mine or Vakash's, but yeah, there might be some stories that slipped in that just got in the historical record that are untrue. But I mean, we have so many experiences and so many of them. I can't, I just can't believe that they're all bunk. It just makes no sense to me. Um, you know, it's just too, too often and too consistent. Well, I mean, like with anything in the past, we, I, we have this, um, 
this uh, arrogance where we kind of feel like we're the most intelligent we've ever been and like every, and we, we just were monkeys and then we slowly have become to what we are and we're progressively getting smarter and everything like that. And, you know, for me, I'm a big um, researcher of like uh, megalithic culture and, you know, um, yeah. like those kinds of sites. And I'm kind of like, no, 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 we were not, uh, basically, I guess the traditional story is like, oh, we were just, you know, living in huts and teepees made of straw. And then one day we decided to build giant megalithics that uh, we can't build today. And then we uh, somehow made crappier ones as time went on and then to where we are today with our modern architecture. I mean, it's just like, it, we have a, a very insane idea of the past. And then also, I mean, there's just so much magic throughout all cultures, whether it's like the Indian, like, you know, with the Vermanas or, you know, like, or just like all their, their gods and their crazy things are the Greek gods or the Egyptian deities or all these different depictions of all these crazy things are the actual biblical stories or whatever and certain people will be like oh well all of that is crap but jesus is real or all of that is crap but muhammad is real or all of that is crap but you know like whatever it is like they they pick and choose like what piece of magic they will like you know cognitive dissonance like i will only believe in this is this can be real but none of this other stuff can so i don't know i i i definitely i feel you on on that um we are at a very skeptical age, which is weird. It is. I mean, especially just having these kinds of experiences, like not just with the unicorn horn, but, um, you know, and I wonder, it was interesting when you said that, you know, there was no reception and no one had a phone handy. I mean, it, I, I wonder, not just with you and your, your group out there in Columbia, or, you know, with me, but I wonder if there's like a freezing of people when they have these experiences, so it's it's less likely to be documented. I mean, about 2000, I think it must have been 2013 or so. I saw a UFO, and it, I guess it's not a UFO because it wasn't flying; it was stationary. It was shaped like a gray cube. That's the weirdest thing. Like if if you have a dimmer switch or had a dimmer switch when you were young in your house to do the lighting. It was almost like uh, the, this craft was on a dimmer switch because it would materialize and dematerialize into the clouds, didn't move. And I was just on my way to working with that old Forgotten Earth Crown project in New York City. I was like, going on the subway. So yeah, a seven minute walk from my home to the subway station. And my eyes were just glued constantly to the sky, seeing this thing, it didn't move. It kept materializing and rematerializing. I don't know why I saw it. I mean, I think, I, I don't know, but I do think that there is like a veil lifting for people who are more open to it, like like us and like many others. Um, you know, the magic is returning to this world. The, a lot of um, unexplained things like cryptids and, and others are returning to this world. And I do think it's tied to, you know, an ascension to higher dimensional realities. And for people who are going to ascend, you know, you kind of have to get comfortable with the fact that, you know, your five senses on an everyday, you know, the everyday boredom of life, I'll call it, um, you know, you got you to be at least open to the fact that there's more to it than that and not scared of it. Um, do I think that there could be negative entities in these higher realms? Sure. But, um, you know, there's negative experiences here, so it's not any different. Overall, I think it's, uh, it's far more positive if you're open to it. You know, it's, it's interesting because it's like, um, 
I consider myself very lucky that I, I, I have had, um, I basically never lost my childlike wonder. Like I just never, like, I think the reason I see this stuff is because I still am open to everything. And even though I went through the traditional school system, I, I, you know, I always told myself it was all bullshit while it was going on. You know, I, I, I always, it was just like, okay, this is just a hoop I have to jump through so I can get their little paper or their little thing. But like, I never, I've even, even crazy stuff as, as far as I don't even think the stars are what they tell us they are. Like, I don't think, I don't believe crap anybody tells me, which is um, probably, maybe I'm crazy, that's fine or whatever. But I, I just, uh, I have, I think because of that, I get interdimensional experiences quite often actually. Yeah. Um, but then I have, you know, I have people within my own family who, um, you know, like, my little sister, she's like a doctor and she saw a, her, she's like, oh yeah, we saw like this thing kind of looks like a baby Bigfoot. They live in Colorado. It's like a small baby Bigfoot thing, but it was like, it must've been an orangutan that, that escaped from the zoo. So like, you know, that like, that's it's yeah, just an orangutan in the middle of um, the Colorado uh, forest okay cool but you know like it couldn't have been a it could not have been a, a bigfoot that's not possible it their bigfoots don't exist that was a baby orangutan because baby orangutans exist you know and it's just kind of one of those things where if you um uh if you close yourself off to the world the world will close itself off to you absolutely i couldn't agree with you more on that and it, it, it's amazing just how people would yeah, that'd be a little harsh, but I'll say it, how people would believe themselves even after having these kinds of experiences and not realize that it could be something that's unexplained. I mean, I think that, you know, honestly, just like as someone who was a former teacher, it was all indoctrination in the school system, especially the public school system. There is no uh, desire to really stimulate critical thinking. That's not that's not the point. They want people smart enough to operate a cash register, not smart enough to know why that's all they're doing in life. They don't want people really questioning asking questions. Yeah. You know, and I think like having an open mind to these things is, is is a more scientific way to do it because I don't believe, you know, here in 2021, we're at the pinnacle of all we'll ever achieve. And when you talk about things like the pyramids and, and the, these megalithic structures and how they were built in ways that we can't build them today, yeah, I mean, it kind of disproves the fact that we're as advanced as we've ever been and uh, you know i mean the structures like the black Tepe, the pyramids in egypt and and elsewhere i mean we're discovering more pyramids all throughout the world every day uh, it seems like i don't think we're anywhere near the pinnacle of where we will be and i think it's leading towards more and more this magic returning to the world and i think it's an exciting time to be alive it definitely is now back to that thing you said about the, the, the it was going in and out of visibility that's yeah. it's funny you say that because this is like my latest sighting was a I don't know what it was it was either a gnome or an elf it was about a foot tall we were in the woods me and my niece she's nine and I thought there was a squirrel I heard like messing of of leaves and you know I'm only like maybe six feet from the edge of the sidewalk where this thing's happening and I look and I see a little man and he has like this white broom thing and he's like sweeping up uh, the leaves and I'm like, Virginia, do you see something right there? 
And she's like, yeah, it's a little man. And I was like, what's he wearing? <laughs> like, let's, let's see what it, and she's like, I don't know. He's got a pointy hat and he's got like leaf colored clothes on. And I was like, yep, that's what I'm seeing too. And so we just, we crouched down. I knew not to go near him. He wouldn't look at us. He just continued oh. like doing his thing. But the thing is, is he kept on going in and out of visibility. It was almost as if like, um, uh, and what brings me back to that is like recently some other guy on Twitter, like private messaged me about how, sorry, dude, I'm not going to tell your name. So don't worry. But uh, he, he was saying that um, he saw a sphere, like a big orb that uh, went in his garden and it was like, he said it was like invisible. It was like, it had a shield on it. He said, it looked like what the movie Predator, how when the, when the predators were like cloaked, how like you could kind of see, it was almost like glass or something. He's like, you could okay. see it there, but it almost like you couldn't if you weren't looking, you know? And I, and that same, same thing for that. I don't know if it was a gnome or an elf cause it didn't have a beard and it wasn't really fat or ugly. It was just whatever, yeah. but it was a little person. Um, but it, I think I like, I don't know if it knew we were looking at it or not. We brought it chocolate and coins the next day because I heard they liked shiny things when I did research, but never saw it again. But anyway, like uh, it, it was going in and out of visibility. It's almost like it's a, a veil or it's a realm thing that's like thinning in certain places, certain times. Maybe it's like within our own consciousness, like maybe we're getting to a Every once in a while, we're peeking into a certain vibration, or I don't know. Like, what do you feel about that? I mean, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, I've been hearing a lot about you know humanity going into fourth dimension, which is basically, from, as I understand it, um, more like things like astral projection, um, experiences like these, and then even higher than that in terms of fifth dimensional reality with kind of an understanding of the oneness of all and just the, the bliss of peace and it's not just kind of like cool things in fourth dimension where oh wow i could actually project or oh wow i saw this awesome unicorn that's more of a fourth dimensional reality and i'm not disparaging that that's still yeah. you know really cool and advanced but going into a higher dimensional reality where it's not just oh wow this cool thing happening where you can actually really feel the embrace and the fact that the universe is entirely built on love and if you can resonate with that vibration, see everyone as one, as, as there's no separation between me or you or, or me and anyone else here on this planet and it all is one, you, you know, that's a higher dimensional reality, you know, even more than that. But, you know, this veil in terms of, um, you know, why certain things, whether it's gnomes, unicorns, UFOs, whatever, I wonder if the veil is thinning. And I wonder if it's thinning for certain people. I don't know how the mechanism is. I don't know if it's a planet-wide thing. I don't know if it's individual. I don't know if it goes at different paces for different individuals. But I do think that, um, you know, more and more the veil is being lifted and it's going towards that, that next age. I don't know when it will be at an age of our lifetime or not, but um, we are moving towards a, a spiritually, more spiritually heightened, you know, kind of um, existence. And I think it's why you get some of the resistance from many different factions is, uh, you know, anytime there's a, uh, there's a great author, uh, I'm probably butchering this person's name. So if this person hears, you know, no, no insult here, but Antero Ally wrote a, a, a magical book. I forget the name of it, but they, they talked a lot about this um, principle of chapel perilous, 
basically when an old order is what? broken, travel like what? Chapel, chapel perilous, like a like a church chapel okay. and then perilous. And this concept, as I understood it, was like when you have an old order, the way things are, basically the way we understand the world to be, or most people understand the way the world to be, with all have limitations. Then we go into this new order, like we're talking about here, with the veil lifting and seeing gnomes, unicorns, UFOs, and magic, and all these sort of limitless possibilities. To get from that old order to the new order, you got to go through like chaos, which is chapel parallels, as Antero Ally calls it. Uh, we see this in the chaos of our world today. So, you know, I think a lot of people realize the old order isn't really true anymore, but we're not as a species, we're not quite there for the, the new existence that we're talking about. So we're in this chaotic state and until like, you know, at least a good majority of people can embrace it, we're gonna be in this chaos. And I don't think the unicorns are gonna fully return until we get past this chaotic state. Um, then once we get into that, past that chaotic state and get into the, this new age and fully immerse ourselves in it, then I think the unicorns will return in a way that anyone, even the most skeptical of us, can't really deny. So do you think that the, the unicorns are appearing because we're at the beginning of the chaos or because they're like telling you that there's light at the end of the tunnel or is it just to kind of like give you light during the chaos? Like, or do you think it's because the chaos is almost over? What do you uh, think? That's a wonderful question. I wish I had an answer to you. I, the truth is I don't know, but I do think that the unicorns appearances, uh, you know, everything from even, even our book, to you know, appearances on TV, even like things like that, businesses that just rapidly escalate. I mean, something. You know, I, I'm an entrepreneur myself, so I'm not saying anything bad about business, but it's not a spiritual realm in most cases. I mean, even there, uh, you know, rapidly ascending businesses being called unicorns. I mean, these are all indications of unicorns coming back into public consciousness, and I, it's getting towards that point. Um, you know, when and why. And, and what it means, and how. you know, this is all to be determined. It's going to be an exciting time trying to figure this out as, as it comes about more and more. Yeah, but so all in all, I think the unicorns are a good thing, right? Like that's... Absolutely. I mean, that's one thing that like all your viewers and listeners should just really, the, the one takeaway, if nothing else, is just unicorns are positive creatures. There's nothing negative about them. There's been distortions, uh, mostly in European history, but that was, you know, for a little bit of political reasons or kind of a game of telephone with things coming in from Asia, not fully understanding it. But yeah, the unicorn is a pure, peaceful creature, um, loves humanity. I mean, there's nothing for anyone to be afraid of. The unicorn is just an amazing creature, blissful and peaceful. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm good. So I'm super happy about that. Okay, so um, so tell us about your next projects. Like what else are you are you up to? Are you doing? So right now I'm just kind of like working on a new uh, brand design with my wife. Um, it's called Real Unicorn Apparel and our website is realunicornapparel.com. Um, you know, Ooh, that's cool because I actually as for for I'm wearing unicorn like tights because I thought like Oh, okay. Like we're, I'm going to be talking to a unicorn guy, so I'll buy yeah. a unicorn shirt. Shirt. I mean, look at me. I mean, we don't have tights just yet, but that might be a new product line. But yeah, um, you know, I made a promise to Natasha before she passed away that we would sell fifty thousand books because this has been her life's mission. And I know that sounds like, as a writer, that sounds like an audacious and probably unreasonable goal. 
But I started this brand with my wife because we, we give everyone who orders a pose a personal kind of um, invitation to, to read the book because, you know, a lot of people, most of our customers buy it for their kids and that's awesome. But like, you know, the unicorn is cool. It's a pop culture thing. And we kind of hope that we can use this to get people to really understand more beyond just the fashion of it, which is great. If that's all they can understand, that's still cool. But like, we hope that more people will really just explore well, this. And, I, and I, I also, like, you need an audiobook. You got to make it into an audiobook version because like, I was like, like last night I ordered the book. Um, so it's coming in for me, but I was like, dang, I needed it now. Um, and I would have like stayed up and listened to six hours of an audiobook if I had to. Um, and I know it's kind of like a little bit, it looks, seems like it's a little bit of a reference book in some points in that you have, um, you know, you have, you have it marked out like where on record, like historically it is in each continent. Um, but yeah, I think, so do you want to continue doing uh, research on further with unicorns or do you feel like it's a done project? I mean, I feel like in terms of the research and, and just anything you, you feel, uh, you know, any, any sources you come or anyone listening and watching, you know, um, on the unicornbook.com, which is the, the website for the book, there's a contact form. So if anyone has information, new like information about the unicorn, feel free to share it, check email and everything. But um, yeah, you know, I, what I told Bakasha before she passed, is not just with the unicorn, but with everything. Um, you know, writing a book is a very passive activity. And um, honestly, I'd rather be doing sort of things that you've done, like going to places like in Colombia and exploring things. For, if you want to uh, go, go to that portal where I saw a unicorn, I can hook you up. I can get you to where you could go to that. Like, I feel like you might want to go. Time and, and finances might preclude that for the rest of the year, but soon after yeah that would be something i would i would strongly be interested in because what i really want to do whether it's with unicorn or any other kind of unexplained or paranormal supernatural kind of thing is just go in with an open mind investigate it and either do it as a documentary series or just write like a non-fiction book after it i want to put myself in the stories not out of like some ego kind of way but just like to fully experience it and you know, reflect on it and talk to people who are skeptics, talk to people who are believers, talk to people who are local and just kind of like get a full picture and then have the experience myself. So that is something that like, if it can be arranged, I'm not, you know, that's something that I, I want to do over the next few years. I don't know exactly what. Right now we're concentrating on um, Real Unicorn Apparel and um, you know, other projects I'm doing, just, just getting them out there um, that have already been done. But um, that is something so I look forward to. You, you talk about, I've heard you say this and one of the other ones, and I would like you to go in a little bit of detail about, you say you can work with the unicorn. So when you say work with the unicorn, like um, energetically, um, like what would be some ideas of tools that people could do to, if they wanted to call in a unicorn or like what would be a reason to call in a unicorn or how would you do, like what would be your, how would you frame that? I mean, the first thing I would say to anyone who really wants to uh, have a personal experience with unicorn, um, and this is a little bit outside of the purview of, you know, Akasha and my book, The Book of the Magical Mystical Unicorn, I would recommend anyone who really wants to have a personal experience with the unicorn to buy another book about the unicorn that's entirely focused on that by a woman named Diana Cooper. Um, I forget the name of the book offhand, 
But if you search on Amazon, Diana Cooper Unicorn, um, that is the best book in terms of that particular kind of personal experience with the unicorn. It's really it also easy. has a YouTube channel, I think. Oh, does she? Okay. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, anyone who really wants that kind of personalized experience, I'd recommend uh, purchasing Diana Cooper's Unicorns book and just generally just keeping a positive, um, open intention. Like, you know, don't run any rackets on the unicorn. Don't like ask, you know, I want to, unicorn, can, can you help me get information so I can um, dominate my business partner or like steal, you know, a million dollars. I mean, it's not yeah, going to work. I, 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 I have that feeling of like, um, especially when you talk about, how they had actual unicorn horns for like medicine and stuff like that that means they poached them that means they must have killed the unicorns in some way and that like really hurts my heart (laughs) um so i i i I have a very big oddly i don't know why but i mean i guess i i mean i know why but i mean but i have definitely a protection thing about like you do not this is not for personal gain you do not you you do not uh hurt them in any way no, absolutely not. And that, that's the one thing in our book that we have that's negative, and it's not from the unicorn's perspective, but in, um, you know, many people might have heard about the holy hunt and the, the kind of art that's uh, based on that, like in the cloisters with unicorn tapestries and such. Um, from our research, we found that this traces back to India, and from India it went into ancient Assyria in the Middle East, and then it filtered into Europe. And this tradition of hunters hunting the unicorn to capture the horn and basically make a ton of money from it and kill the unicorn in the process. That's a distinctly European interpretation of it. And, um, and we believe that did happen. This is why the horn became so popular in Europe. Basically, a lot of young guys who were upstarts and looking to make a name for themselves to royalty would arrange hunting parties to kill unicorns. And it's not a fair fight because the unicorn Physically, it cannot do anything other than self-defense. It cannot kill or harm anyone. Mm-hmm. The best it could do if, it, if there's a group of you know, violent people trying to come for it is just defend itself and kind of butt away you know, try and, and, or you know, dematerialize into a higher dimension. But it cannot hurt and it cannot kill any human. It's just not in its nature. But of course, that's not in our nature and many of us, unfortunately. And this is where a lot of these horns came from, in my opinion, into the market with their, you know, incredibly great healing properties. It came from people who could profit. Yeah, when I hear that, though, I all I can think of or all I feel like I have a knowing that like, damn, that's some bad karma that you will take on for many, 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 many lifetimes. Um, to buy it to sell it to to be part of any of that like it, it's not it's nothing you want to get into in my opinion i don't know wouldn't recommend it to anyone i yeah. mean it's a car, like you said the karmic consequences would be terrible i mean just you're you're you'd be attacking a pure and innocent some 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 creature that wants to help humanity and just help the world as a whole and you're trying to kill that or just make a little money or um, you know, for some some reason, I mean, that's just not cool. And anyone who's done that in the past, hopefully, no one will do that anytime soon. But yeah, that's just not good for you. You're going to be the one who gets the worst of it. It's so weird. I never in a million years would have thought like I like a hundred percent 
know they're real because I saw one. So there's that. But, you know, it's just, I never thought like, like if you would have told me like five years ago or something that like I would be sitting here like, like advocating for or unicorn rights, I would have been like, nah, super crazy. But um, it's it's a thing like you need to discuss, you need to tell, you need to say. I mean, like that's that's yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think just generally people should be more open and honest about their experiences. I mean, we have to, I think it's important for us to try to, um, I don't know the exact word right here, but, you know, to try to take it when, when we have experiences like this or when we have knowledge of this sort, share it with people. I mean, hell, you know, lots of people are, are going to think you're crazy. Lots of people are going to think you're stupid, but, you know, you're getting the ideas out there and those who are ready for it will hear and investigate and those who aren't, you know, well, they're just not ready for it yet. And it's accumulative, right? I mean, like the more, the more uh, people share their experiences, the more it's kind of like, okay, well, like one person might be crazy, a hundred people might be crazy, but like thousands of people, I don't know, there might be something to it, you know, like when enough like incidences of certain things start happening, you also get like tiny little pieces of the puzzle or other little, like for instance, you didn't, you didn't, hadn't heard anything of a Columbia one, you know, I mean, like yeah. it starts adding to these things, you know, um, so that's why I decided to be coming out with all my crazy experiences in this like way, I mean, I don't have a big audience, but you know, maybe one day, who knows? So, uh, and even if I don't, like, that's the thing. Here's the other thing that I, you mentioned this earlier with your, like how you didn't have the camera. I didn't have the camera. Um, and the, it, in a way, and the way, and I don't think I finished my thought with the personal revelation thing though, is uh, like how, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think you are lucky if you get to have an experience in a personal revelation because if I had never ever seen anything my entire life like mm -hmm. I might be apt to just be a naysayer and just you know go to a nine-to-five IT job and be extremely uh you know only materialistic that's it that's all there is in the world you know um so I guess if you are a person who has had uh you know kind of us things that aren't in our normal reality be grateful and give be compassionate for those who haven't because like they just haven't gotten that opportunity yet but like you know I kind of wish that for a lot of people I wish that they could I don't want them to necessarily have like a bad encounter there's certainly bad encounters but yeah I wish everybody could see a unicorn that would be great yeah, I mean, I wish I wish that too. And, uh, you know, and I think more and more people, including skeptics, will see this as we go further through these years because of where we're heading just as a planet and, and as a species. So more naysayers will, you know, once you see the evidence, you can't really deny it. So more people will have things, you know, even, even people like your sister who, uh, you know, might have uh, brushed that, her experience off as, as an orangutan, as strange as that sounds, you know, if she starts having three or four more experiences over the next decade of, of things that are unexplained, you know, one thing is easy to disregard. It's easy to disregard if you just hear one thing or two or, or something of the sort, because, you know, with most people's experience in daily life, there's nothing too weird about it, just, just generally. Right. You know, if you're having weird experiences every day, uh, you know, send me a message on unicornbook.com. I'd love to hear that, but it's not pretty common. Um, but when you do have those experiences, you have them consistently come up, you start to realize there's so much more than, than what's being taught. Totally, totally. 
All right. Well, this has been awesome, Alfonso. So like where where can people uh, like give us all your contact info? Sure. So um, if anyone wants to um, kind of follow generally what I'm up to, uh, my Twitter handle is bookcartpusher. Um, it's mostly just kind of writing focused stuff. So that might not be of general interest. Uh, but the Facebook for the book is facebook.com slash magical mythical unicorn. The website for the unicorn uh, is uh, theunicornbook.com. And the website for Real Unicorn Apparel is realunicornapparel.com. So, and, and you can find us on Facebook too by just searching Real Unicorn Apparel. So, um, yeah, I, and I love to just hear more experiences. So, if you've had an experience with the unicorn um, or information, if you buy the book and you see there's certain things you don't cover, um, share information my way on the unicornbook.com contact form. Um, I read every email. And uh, yeah, if you have anything interesting to share, by all means, please share. Great. Well, perfect. Uh, I had I had a great time having you on and we'll have to have you on again sometime because this is cool. And uh, yeah, let me know of any future projects or whatever. Like, that'd be awesome. Will do, Nikki. This was a hell of a lot of fun. So thanks for having me on here today. You too. Okay, bye. Ha, ha, ha.